now. Get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, garden columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Tips. lots of snark. The Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where there's always a garden dialogue going on, where... If you go to that that right now, you'll see a picture of today's guest along with her carrots. It's the vegetable queen, Gail Pothauer, Sacramento County Lifetime Master Gardener. Works out at the uh, vegetable uh, garden there at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center as well, where there's always some interesting experiments going on. And Gail's our guest, so especially if you have vegetable questions today, the numbers to call with your questions, 916 576 1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Email, sure, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. And, of course, we'll have a garden grappler a little bit later on as well, so uh, stay tuned for that. And we'll be doing that about 11 o'clock or thereabouts. Let's take a quick look at the weather, see what's going on. A bit chilly this morning. It started off uh, into the mid-30s throughout the Sacramento area, up to around 48 now, going to get up to 59 and here's the good news. No pineapple expresses will be falling on your head this week. There won't be three and a half inches of rain again um, for the coming week. It's going to be sunny skies, you know, like spring, uh, sunny and warmer with the, the week ending up in the high 70s. And overnight lows, though, still on the chilly side in the low 40s to mid 40s for the most part. And this is the time of the year when... You want to get out there and just plop in all your warm season vegetables all at once and your warm season flowers. Could you wait a month? You can't? Okay, well, then we'll give you some advice then. Gail Pothauer is here. Always a pleasure uh, to talk with Gail. We've uh, talked to her before about growing sweet potatoes, about microgreens and other subjects. She knows her vegetables. And it's Gail, it's a pleasure to have you here on Get Growing for the first time. Thank you. In person. Yes. Thanks for taking time uh, from your Sunday to be with us here. I'm glad to be here. Are you having fun? I am. Good. All right. <laughs> All right. That's good. Wasn't too sure, but uh, it'll this be is fun. okay. Good. All right. Yes, there's no heavy lifting involved here. <laughs> it's fun. We're all good people here. Uh, it's tomato time for a lot of people. And uh, as the article, uh, Debbie Arrington's main article yesterday in the Sacramento Bee in the garden section points out is uh, this is the time of the year to do some planning before you do some planting and incorporate uh, the knowledge of a lot of people who've been growing vegetables over the years and learn from their mistakes, as if society ever did that, but let's try anyway. And, um, Gail, what would be the advice you would have for a beginner gardener? Well, first off, I would suggest finding a place that has full sun. Mm -hmm. There are very few vegetables that grow in shade. You can grow some leafy greens and some herbs in some dappled shade, but... For the most part, find a place that has at least six to eight hours of sun a day, and preferably in an area that has decent soil. Um, plants need good drainage, and so if you don't have very good soil, maybe really heavy clay or cloddy or rocky, then you could grow in a raised bed or in containers. And also it's important to have irrigation nearby. So whether you have a hose bib 
over in the area you're gardening. Um, I like to have a hose bib at each one of my raised beds so I can install a battery-operated timer if I need to for each individual bed. But if you have to drag a hose all the way around the other side of the house, your garden may not get tended as well as it should. So uh, sunshine, access to water, and good soil. And judging what area of your yard is full sun is not uh, something you can do on the spur of the moment because it varies throughout the course of a year. Uh, The good news is uh, yards are getting sunnier as the sun gets higher in the sky if you've got trees or buildings. But that full sun, does that have to be full sun throughout the entire year or just during the primary growing season, April through October? Well, it depends on what you're growing. My garden at home is on the north side of my house, which isn't ideal. The only place I could put it, I have oak trees on the south side. So in the middle of summer, I get full sun. In fact, I have to shade some of my um, plants, like peppers and things Mm -hmm. like that, so they don't get sunburned. But in the wintertime, when I'm growing my cool season crops, most of my raised beds are in pretty much shade all day. So I'm limited to where I can plant cool season crops. So it's in one or two beds where they do get a little farther away from the house so they get a little more sun. So what what is the uh, planning in that regard? Do you put the greens in, in the areas that get more shade and then the flowering plants like broccoli and cauliflower in those outer beds? If I grew broccoli and cauliflower, oh, I would. Okay. It's They're kind of <laughs> tough to grow. I haven't had much luck. So um, I stick with carrots and lettuce and beets and things like that. Maybe do cover crop. I'll do cover crop in some of the beds that maybe have a little bit of shade. It's not that critical for them. Um, but I only garden in one or two beds in the wintertime mm-hmm. where I have six beds. The rest, I just kind of leave fallow covered with straw during the winter. Good idea. Mm-hmm. Now, the carrots, if you're looking at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, you see a picture of Gail with her carrots. She brought in some carrots that we did a little taste testing over on uh, the KFBK Garden Show. And Terry, by the way, help yourself to the carrots out there. I, I, I put them out there uh, on the uh, railing uh, for all the uh, horticultural apartment-dwelling heathens who um, are out there in the newsroom. But they're very tasty carrots. The uh, carrots, can they be grown in full shade? Not really full shade. They still need to have some sunlight. Mm-hmm. They could get by with a little less sun than say your warm season crops right the cool season crops can take a little bit less sun but i would still put them in a, a semi sunny location maybe at least sun for part of the day so that garden on the north side of your house you'd be putting the carrots in the outer beds right they're in the bed farthest from the house all right well let's talk about the hopes of all gardeners in the first week of spring here we are the first full weekend of spring we're dreaming of tomatoes and peppers and squash and corn and pumpkins and melons and everything else like that there it's are any of those can any of those go in the ground right now well, they probably could I wouldn't yeah, okay yeah exactly yes if if you put them in the ground now you would probably not have a lot of success and you need to provide some kind of protection. Mm -hmm. The only thing, if you absolutely had to put something in the ground now, it would be a tomato. I, I wouldn't do it, but if you gave it some kind of protection, if it was in a raised bed that warms up a little faster, perhaps if you put black plastic down to warm up the soil, but I 
would just wait until April 28th, which is official tomato planting <laughs> day in Sacramento. Yay. And um, <laughs> like I do have a tomato right now that a friend of mine started around Christmas, and so it's already 18 inches tall. But I am transplanting it into larger and larger pots mm-hmm. and avoiding putting it in the ground. So it will go into the ground at the end of April, and it'll be in a gallon container by then. I like that. Uh, I was talking about that earlier on the KFBK show, that if you are going out out and buying your tomato and pepper plants now at a nursery because the selection is so good and you're not going to plant them until late April or in the case of peppers um, early to mid-May, might be a good idea to transfer them from those four-inch pots into one-gallon cans to allow them to develop a really great root system over the next month or six weeks. Correct. And a tomato, up to a certain point, will almost double in size every couple of weeks. So when I was given this tomato just a little over a month ago, it was in a small three-inch pot, and it's now in a large jumbo four-inch pot, and it's 18 inches tall. So it's... That's a little big. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's ready to go into a gallon. Um, Some things like peppers and eggplant, I wouldn't even think about putting them in the ground until May. I used to plant them in March when I planted my tomatoes before I became a master gardener and knew what I was supposed to do. <laughs> and the peppers always had to be replaced. Mm. So they absolutely need to have warm soil and warm, little warmer nighttime temperatures. And then things like beans and squash and melons, I, I wait until May because the right. beans are going to rot in the ground and the melons and squash will probably die as well. To put a few numbers to what we're talking about here, currently soil temperatures in our area are between 52 and 56 degrees. That's a range where soil activity is just beginning to happen. And it's nowhere near what a tomato or a pepper would want. They would prefer soil temperatures in the upper 60s. And we don't usually get to that until late April to mid-May. And as you mentioned, with raised beds or container gardens, they're going to warm up a lot quicker. So you might be able to cheat by a couple of weeks. Right. And then with the tomatoes, even if you're in raised beds and the top few inches of the soil has warmed up, we plant tomatoes deeply, which means they're Mm. down in that colder soil. So I would just wait. I'm not one of those who wants to be the first on my block to have tomatoes, ripe tomatoes at Fourth of July or even before that. So I just want to see them and touch them and smell them. (laughs) This time of year, just the plants themselves, you know, right. you brush up against a leaf and you get that wonderful uh, tomato plant aroma. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly do that now just by buying the plants, but basically babying them until uh, late April. Right. And I, on our sunny days, I bring my tomato and pepper plants out. Oh, my friend also started pepper plants wait around Thanksgiving and <laughs> Christmas. And wow. so they're already over a foot tall. The ones I started myself at the appropriate time are two inches tall. So I've been taking these larger plants out during the day, mm-hmm. hardening them off, getting them adapted to the outtime, uh, daytime temperatures, and then I bring them in to my greenhouse. I have an unheated greenhouse during the evening. So um, they're, they're doing great, but they're not going in the ground yet. All right. Gail Pothauer is here. We're talking vegetables on today's edition of Get Growing. Got a question? Give us a call. 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. 
Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And our in-studio guest, Gail Poth, our Sacramento County Lifetime Master Gardener, vegetable pro extraordinaire. And uh, we're having an issue with the telephones right now. So if you want to get a garden question in, I would suggest you email it in. You remember email, fred at farmerfred.com. And Gail, here's a question from Heather who writes in, would sweet potatoes be a good crop to plant every other year with tomatoes? In the same spot, tomatoes one year, sweet potatoes the next. And I thought, well, no, wait a minute. Those are Solanaceae. They're both in the same family. And Gail, you corrected me. Sweet potatoes, unlike potatoes, which are Solanaceae, sweet potatoes, though, totally different family related to one of the real garden thugs of the garden. <laughs> That's true. It's in the morning glory family. Yeah. So it would be okay to do crop rotation with tomatoes. Okay. Different family. And morning glory is just a polite word for field bindweed. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it's evil cousin, the one that's always on cops. Uh, yeah, good luck on controlling field bindweed. In fact, uh, were you mentioning that you have that out there at the Hort Center? Or is that at home? No, oh, that was my sister. Oh, your sister. She has okay. 10 acres of yellow of star thistle and field bindweed. <laughs> oh, so therefore, she would garden in her straw bales. Okay, that's why she had straw bales, was to avoid the uh, field bindweed, which I'm surprised didn't crawl up the straw bales. <laughs> it didn't. Yeah, she did have trouble with voles the last year. So, um, yeah, there still are some issues. But you might let Heather know that we do have... A, an environmental horticulture note on growing sweet potatoes. So she could access that from our website. And we are, as we mentioned on the KFBK Garden Show, we are coming up to sweet potato planting time. Uh, do you want to try to delineate between a sweet potato and a yam? There is no difference. Okay. It's a marketing thing. All right. Apparently they wanted to, down in the southern uh, growing area where sweet potatoes are very common, they wanted to differentiate between the sweet potatoes that have real orange flesh and those that have white. So some marketing genius decided we'll call the orange ones yams. It's completely different than the real yam, which is from Africa, and it weighs about 20 pounds and very starchy. But yeah, yams and sweet potatoes in the U.S. are the same thing. How do you plant sweet potatoes? What are you purchasing when you buy sweet potatoes for planting? When you get the, them shipped to you generally, it will be a slip, not the sweet potato itself. Whereas with regular potatoes, you plant the potato. Sweet potatoes, if you had the old science experiment where you put toothpicks in a sweet potato and you put half of it in a glass of water, you'd get roots at the bottom and these sprouts would come out the top. Well, you break those sprouts off and that's what you plant. Hmm, So if you order them, you'll be getting the sprouts and they may or may not already be rooted when you get them. If they haven't been rooted, Go ahead, still stick them in the ground. Now, explain what you meant about planting potatoes. You don't plant the potato whole. You cut it into eyes, don't you? Well, it depends. I I like to have seed potatoes that are about the size of an egg, a small Mm. hen's egg, because if you aren't cutting them, if you're planting them whole, there's less chance they'll rot. If you get large potatoes, then you do want to cut them into pieces that have at least one, maybe preferably two eyes. But then you need to let them, the potato pieces that you've cut, dry out so that they aren't real moist. They kind of scab over. So you'd put them in kind of a room temperature setting for several days to a week. And then you can plant those. You do run the risk of those rotting more easily than a whole potato. 
on an egg-sized potato that you would plant, how many slips or not slips, but starts, sprouts would you get from that? It depends. Some of them will have just one or two. Um, some have a lot. And that's when you can kind of rub off some of the maybe smaller ones so you don't have a lot of sprouts. You could certainly plant the potato and have a lot of sprouts that, mm-hmm. that grow, but you're going to have smaller potatoes. You'll have more more foliage, but you'll have smaller potatoes. So if you rub off all but a couple, you tend to get larger potatoes. Would you recommend cutting those sprouts down to one, the strongest sprout? You could. I'd do one or two. Okay. And if you do cut your potatoes into chunks, you want to at least have one sprout, preferably Right, two. yeah, that's why right. you're looking for that exactly. eye right. when you do that. But sweet potatoes and... Uh, how long does it take for a sweet potato? How do you tell it, know when a sweet potato is mature? The vines start to die back. So we like to grow ours up off the ground rather than have them trail all across the ground. They take up a lot of real estate, which we don't have. Plus, if you're growing the sweet potatoes and they're traveling along the ground, they can root at each one of their nodes, but that results in a lot of smaller sweet potatoes. So if you are growing them that way, mulch them with straw, and periodically lift up the vines so that they're not rooting. But since we grow them up a trellis, we don't have that issue, and the vines will start to die back, usually around the fall. And it's a long growing season, isn't it? It is, and we're perfect for that. So if we plant them in May, we'll probably harvest around September. I have a question about planting onions that just popped in my head. Okay. I I get very confused when I start reading about day-length onions about long day and short day and day neutral onions and looking at where we are on the map I go well are we long day or short day or in between what the heck do you plant here we're actually intermediate day short day is 10 to 12 hours of sunlight which Mm -hmm. is going to be in the south so it's southern California Georgia Texas intermediate day is 12 to 14 hours of sunlight that's us it's kind of the middle of the country and then long day are 14 to 16 or more hours. So that's Washington, um, the upper parts, uh, northern parts of the United States. And there's also day neutral, which if you have day neutral varieties, they'll grow anywhere. And why it's important is the bulbing is triggered by the length of days. And so we're intermediate day. It has to do with your latitude and day neutral. So for our area, you're looking for those intermediate varieties of onions that I guess should have been planted back in November, October, November. Can you plant onions now or is it too late? I guess it depends on what you see at the nursery. Right. And it depends on the variety. The The goal is to get a lot of growth, root growth and leaf growth on onions before the particular day length is reached. And it's a combination of day length and temperature that triggers it to bulb. If you get them in too late, they they will reach the day length before they've had enough leaves put on. And you would really want to have between 12 and 15 leaves because each leaf is a ring on the onion. So you want to have plenty of foliage. Hmm. Uh, I notice here on the uh, Farmer Fred Interactive Vegetable Planting Calendar, the best months in our area for planting onions from uh, transplants would be October, November, December. And sure enough, uh, they're just starting to sit here. And one of the lessons I've learned in all these years of making mistakes gardening is that you need to have your onions in their own bed with their own water control. 
because of the time that the onions mature, which around here, if you planted them in October, November, they're ready to harvest usually in July, early July, much like garlic. And the key, though, is not to water them too much after they've matured. You don't want to rot them. So you really want them on their own watering system so you can turn off the water to that bed while you're watering all the other thirsty plants that you've put out, the tomatoes and peppers and squash, because those uh, you're not doing your onions and garlic any good by giving them too much water after their full size. Correct. So um, that's, if I was going to pass my gardening brain on to any child, that would be there towards the top of the list. Put your onions on a separate watering system. And your garlic, too. Mm -hmm. And you'll know the onions are ready when the tops start to fall over, usually about six months or so after they've been planted. And um, I don't grow a lot of onions because I apparently either grow the wrong variety or I plant them at the wrong time. But we did have an onion variety trial at the Horticulture Center several years ago. Oh, really? Okay. uh, And that's unfortunate that uh, it's getting harder and harder to find one of the best varieties for our area called Stockton Red, which is a really delicious red slicing onion. And it's very difficult to find. Lockhart Seeds used to carry them in the fall. I think they're having a hard time. And I think it's been replaced by a variety called Hamburger. And it's okay. The Torpedo is okay as well for a red uh, onion. But uh, it, it, like I say, if I had my druthers, I would grow Stockton Red. There's but. also Early Red Burger, which is a good red one okay. as well. Maybe that's what I was thinking of when I said hamburger, because when, I always think about hamburgers. <laughs> when we did our onion variety trial, we had two varieties of long season or long day. We had four or five varieties of intermediate day and then two varieties of short day just to see what they would do in our particular growing area. And all of the long day onions bolted too early. Mm. Um, several of the short season did as well. So that did teach us that you stick with intermediate day. Intermediate. And I tell you what, we have to take a break when we come back. Why don't you give us a list of intermediate day onions? I will do that. All right. Gail Pothauer is here. We're talking vegetables here on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. <music> You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. With our guest, Gail Pothauer, Sacramento County Master Gardener, Lifetime Master Gardener. And we were uh, talking about growing onions and uh, the best varieties to grow in our area and the uh, jargon that comes with onions like day length of uh, short day, long day, day neutral. And for our area and for where we're located Gail, it's those day neutral, the intermediate ones that seem to do the best here. And what are some of the good intermediate varieties? Intermediate varieties are the ones that take uh, 12 to 14 hours before they start bulbing. A full sun. A full sun. And the varieties that we had luck with were Stockton Yellow and Stockton Red, which, Fred, you said is getting difficult to locate. Candy. There's also Superstar, Crimson. Early Red Burger and Early California Red. Oh, yeah. Early California Red and uh, the Early Burger. Is that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Early Red Burger. Early Red Burger. Those are the probably the most common ones that you will find available at uh, nurseries in the fall. And um, I just prefer the flavor of that Stockton Red. But the, the burger comes close. Uh, 
well, I can pine all I want, but it's not going to matter. All right. So any other advice? Uh, we talked about when to harvest onions as far as you wait for the tops to dry up. Garlic. When do you harvest garlic? Garlic would do about the same thing. The mm. tops would start to die back. And in our area, generally May, June, depends on the variety. Right. We happen to be doing a 14-variety garlic trial out at the Horticulture Center this, this year. Oh. So that's going to be quite some garlic yeah. tasting we're going to have. I, I, I One time, every fall back at the old place, or every August, uh, I would have a, a party at the house. And one year was a tomato party where we were taste-testing like 25 uh, different varieties of tomatoes and beers. And, um, and peppers one year. And I remember one year I did garlic. And it was... <laughs> a tomato tasting or a melon tasting is much easier to do than a garlic tasting. Yes, We're still trying to figure out the logistics of yeah. this. Now, if you want to see the progress of what we're talking about out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, uh, the vegetable garden, the fruit trees, the vines, the composting, the uh, water-efficient landscape, everything that's out there, their next open garden will be Wednesday, April 11th from 9 to noon. And it's a rare midweek opening out there. So that'll be Wednesday, April 11th, 9 to noon. Then I imagine come May, it'll go back to the Saturday schedule, where it's usually the second Saturday of uh, each month from 9 to noon. So that'll be in May, June, and July. And then Harvest Day in August. First, first Saturday in August is Harvest Day, and that's the big wing ding. And that'll be fun. That's probably... Uh, uh, you'll probably have garlic available. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, no, hopefully it'll be out by then, but we'll yeah. at least have some on display. Now, I have heard when it comes to harvesting garlic is you count the scapes, you count the number of leaves that are coming up, and usually there are seven. And of those seven, when three of the seven have have started to turn brown is the time you need to start monitoring your garlic, which basically involves plucking it out of the ground and seeing if it's ready or not. And you would cut that back on the irrigation as you start to right. see about half of the leaves turn yellow. Yep, exactly, because you want to avoid that rot. And then storing garlic is always a trick. I, I always maintain that it would be nice if all the homes in Sacramento came with a root cellar. Root cellar, oh boy, yeah. what I would give for a root cellar. Yeah. The soft neck garlic generally stores better than the hardneck. There's two types of garlic. The hardneck has a woody stem in the middle, mm -hmm. and the ones that we find at the grocery store are softneck, usually the California silver skin, right. and those do store much better than the hardneck. The hardneck may be three months, the, the softneck six months or so. But they need, for longer storage, they need a cool, dry location, and for most people, that might be under your bed. Correct. That's where I would put it. The coolest part of my house or an interior closet. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's an idea, too. Just dedicate a whole closet. To garlic? <laughs> to, to gar <laughs> well, the, well the, all your yeah, root crops, right. basically, that you're trying to save, onions and garlic and maybe potatoes or whatever that you might be harvesting. Hopefully your clothes don't start smelling like garlic. Yeah, well, that's a, well you move the clothes someplace else. <laughs> they go out to the garden or whatever. All right, let's talk tomatoes here. Let's talk about tomato varieties. Uh, they usually grow several varieties out at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. What have been some of the winners over the years? Well, I do have to say that I love growing heirlooms, but we have difficulty growing them at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center because we have confirmed fusarium wilt in almost all of our raised beds. 
So while those are the ones that we prefer for the flavor, we pretty much need to stick to hybrids that have disease resistance. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they won't get it. Back last year, one of our fusarium-resistant tomatoes did get fusarium. We sent it to the state lab. But you should be able to get some type of a harvest. So we will be sticking with fusarium-resistant tomatoes. They'll have the V, F, and N, usually after the, the name of the tomato cultivar. And we have not quite selected them yet. We're still working on it. We have a number of them that are being grown out, and we're going to make our selection once we get our beds ready and decide how many we can grow. But that's what we're doing. They're fusarium-resistant. And those disease-resistant tomatoes are hybrid varieties. V, F, and N are usually the common letters you will see there. F, of course, stands for fusarium. V for verticillium. And N means it has resistance to nematodes. Yeah, and the reason that we want varieties that have the nematode resistance is often if you have nematodes, it will override the fusarium resistance. So we want to have a a variety that has VFN, all three of them. Mm -hmm. For your fusarium out there, have you given any consideration to solarizing the soil? We have. In fact, every year we dedicate one bed to solarization. We use it as a demonstration at Harvest Day. So we do them in rotation, but we have nine beds. So it (laughs) take eight or nine years to get them all solarized. And obviously you're doing it for soil solarization. You're using clear plastic uh, during the hottest time of the year. So you're taking a a bed out of production. Right. The bed that we're going to solarize this year is going to have short season Asian stir fry greens Hmm. because they, they are harvested so quickly. So by June, when we'll start getting the bed ready for solarization, those will be done. So that's what we're going to do this year. But, yeah, it does take a bit out of production. Right. And you can find more information about soil solarization at the uh, UC Sacramento County Master Gardener website. Or if you, if you, I tell you what, if you just Google the phrase soil solarization and Farmer Fred, all that good stuff will pop right up. Fusarium wilt it is usually the tomato plants turn yellow on one side, then spreads to the rest of the plant. Correct. And eventually the plant will die. And that's what we've been experiencing. We start getting yellowing leaves later in the season when it starts getting hot. That's when it manifests itself. And we'll start having one side turn yellow. We'll get the fruit sunburned because of lack of foliage. And then when we take the plant out, we always cut the stem close to the ground Mm. to see if it has that classic browning that you see. Right. Yeah, that's it. If uh, you want to do some little CSI on your... uh, ailing tomato plant if you uh, take uh, the main stem and do a cross-section and look at it a healthy stem would be ivory in color be almost pure white if it has fusarium it's going to have a darkened uh, uh, middle to it and verticillium the same it has the same kind of browning you see inside they're both soil-borne fungal infections right with uh, verticillium wilt too if you uh, even just do a little cross-section or just scrape away at the outer portion of a stem, you can see the brown streaks. Mm -hmm. And with fusarium as well. Yeah. So that's one way to tell if you're wondering uh, what's ailing your tomato plants. More information online at uh, farmerfred.com or just, yeah, go there and uh, you'll find a link on the page to uh, the tomato troubleshooter that can help you out. Uh, We were talking about Heather and and growing sweet potatoes earlier. She was going to alternate sweet potatoes and tomatoes. You said fine and dandy. And she writes back with a very common complaint I've heard about sweet potatoes. And that is, the nursery is out of sweet potato slips. Can I use grocery store sweet potatoes? 
You could, but I wouldn't, just because you don't know if there's any kind of a disease that could be passed through that sweet potato. If you go to our website, we do have an environmental horticulture note on growing sweet potatoes, and in that publication are probably six or eight different sources where you can get sweet potatoes, uh, the slips. The problem is most sweet potatoes that are listed in catalogs and on websites, if you read the fine print, they say they cannot ship to California Mm -hmm. because they come from southern growers, and it's those southern-grown sweet potato slips that are quarantined for a sweet potato weevil. But if you look at our publication, there are some sources that have been approved for shipment to California. And I had discovered as uh, the host of the KSTE Farm Hour that the sweet potato capital of California is around Merced and Madera. Yeah, Livingston, that yeah. area. Mm-hmm. All right. And That's where we originally got sweet potato slips when we grew them about four years ago. It's a sweet potato uh, farmer down in Livingston, and he, we ordered them from him, and he's listed on our web on our publication as a source. Yeah, what's the smallest quantity you can get? You know, from I him? don't know. Yeah. I don't know. See, that's the problem with when you're dealing with these growers is, uh, yeah, they'll ship you a hundred pounds, but <laughs> the ones that I ordered for our demonstration that we're going to do this year, I ordered from Victory Seeds up in Oregon, mm-hmm. and I think the minimum was twelve. So I ordered two different varieties. Okay, 12 pounds? or No, 12, 12 slips. Oh, 12, 12 slips. slips. Okay, correct. all right. Gail Pothauer is our guest, Sacramento County Master Gardener. We're talking vegetables. Are the phones working, Terry? It looks like they are. Thank you for fixing that. I don't know how you did it, but thank you. 576-1578 in the 916-866-331-8255 with your garden questions. Garden Grappler coming up in a few minutes. We'll take a short break. More Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We were talking earlier about sources for sweet potato slips, and uh, Gail Pothauer and the Sacramento County Master Gardeners have put together a very good handout about growing sweet potatoes, which includes local sources for the sweet potato slips. So if you visit the Sacramento County Master Gardener site, you can look up uh, how to grow sweet potatoes, or just Google the phrase "sweet potato Sacramento master gardener," and uh, that link will uh, pop up close to the top. So try that out if you want. Uh, what did Gail? What did I say we were going to talk about that we haven't talked about yet? I don't remember. Oh, good. You're just like <laughs> me then. Okay, I I have an idea, but let's. The phones are working, so let's talk with Dave and Rancho Cordova. Dave, thank you for uh, uh, hand, handling the uh, phone storm so well. <laughs> hey Fred, hey Gail. Hi. Great to hear you this morning. Nice topic. Um, I wanted to ask Gail about garlic. I've tried garlic a few times and I I was successful, except the garlic were really small. And it was the California silvers. Is that just a small variety or was I trying to keep too many and not, you know, pruning, you know, taking or thinning out likely the mm, issue. How far apart did you plant them? That was oh, gee, they were really close together, Fred, probably about maybe an inch and a half or two. Oh, they that's were like, way too close. Yeah, that's a little too close. Yeah, that will keep them from um, forming big bulbs. So I would plant them maybe six inches to eight, ten oh, inches. Wow. Yeah. Oh, they, wow. they need yeah. some room. They actually have a pretty good root system. So you could probably go, you know, six inches minimum. 
Wow. Okay, I guess I was trying. I didn't have a very big space. I guess I was trying to get too many. Well, um, you can certainly get garlic out of it. You just may not get. You'll just get these tiny little bulbs. Yeah, plenty of yeah, greens. Yeah, you have like green garlic. Yeah, it was fun, and, and I actually made little wreaths out of them. It, it was kind of neat. The neighbors liked it, and I had a I had a basement so I could store them in a cool, dry spot. You have a basement? Really, wow. I did. <laughs> on a hillside. So I mean, not now. I did. Yeah. This was Fred, when I, you and I used to talk a lot, and so that's why I had this hillside lot. And, yeah, I had the basement and stuff. So anyway, uh, second question. Fred, my dad has a redwood tree and a cedar tree that had been on his property for a long time, they're not that far from the house. Maybe one is 15, maybe 10 feet, and the other one is 25 or 30. They're tall. One of them has, uh, I guess it's probably uh, gone worse last year, surface roots. He wants to trim them back or, you know, cut them so that they're not on top. Is that is he asking for trouble? Yes. Yes, he is asking for trouble. Uh, big trees, lack of roots, boom, boom, goes the tree on your house. That's what I'm afraid of. That's why it would pay to uh, bring out a consulting arborist or what's also called a risk assessment uh, arborist to come out and check it to give you advice on which, if any of those roots, can be uh, pruned back. And So a good site for that is called Trees Are Good. Dot org. It's run by the International Society of Arboriculture, and they have links to local ISA um, members uh, of arborists, uh, and you can just put in your zip code or your city, and up will pop a big list of arborists that belong to the ISA. Now, of course, uh, it's up to you to make sure that they are still bonded and insured and and have a good work record. And it's always a good idea to, when you see tree people working in your neighborhood, is check them out. Ask your neighbor, too, who is having the work done to see if they like the company that they worked with and there weren't any problems. I I get scared now when I uh, walk through suburban purgatory and I see all the different tree, alleged tree companies climbing trees and doing tree work. And some of them are rank amateurs. It it truly is somebody who owns a chainsaw and a pickup truck. And that's very scary. So you do want a good firm that backs up what they do. You are going to pay more, but uh, for the peace of mind and uh, for any sort of uh, the, the problems that may develop financially from any uh, disaster that may occur, is uh, you really want to work with a firm that uh, has their financial act together. And, and if you don't mind, one quick final question. I, I have tried two mandarin trees in his backyard. He's up in Marysville. Has a, a heavy clay has a heavy clay soil um, and a hard pan that's probably about three feet. Um, mm-hmm. The hard, you know, below sounds like Harold. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this this my say two mandarins two mandarin trees have died. Now, granted, I planted both of them and I probably set I probably set them a little bit too low. If I just I mean, and the, the whole diameter is probably I'm guessing maybe a two foot diameter hole, maybe 30 inches uh, and maybe like 18 inches deep. Um, if I, if I just, this third tree, which I already have, if I just lift it up, so it's not quite as, do you think I'll have more success? Are those roots getting too wet? Well, that's it. What's the drainage in that situation? If you have clay and hard pan and you got poor drainage, why not plant them in big barrels or in raised beds? Okay. All right. Go that route. So you get better drainage. 
All right, sir. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate the help. All right, Dave. Good luck. All right. Thanks. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it'll be Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Now, Gail, I know you're new to this radio thing, but you're going to have to judge the Garden Grappler. Ooh. Okay. All right. Exciting. So uh, it'll be about what we've been talking about uh, on the show and if not, if you're still scratching your head, there is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. That'll help you out. And um, frankly, uh, I'll make it as easy on you as possible. But it, it has to do with vegetables. And we'll be doing that when we come back and answering more of your garden questions as well. We'll delve into the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Don't forget the show is available as a podcast. You can listen to it, stream it, if you will from the KSTE.com website or your iHeartRadio app. You can download it from any number of third-party podcast aggregators, including Apple Podcasts. So there's a way to preserve this till I... You can find out all the mistakes I make by saving the podcast. We'll take that break. Garden Grappler coming up in Hour 2 of Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you're up on your vegetables, your warm season vegetables. Name a warm season garden vegetable beginning with a letter from the word spring. S-P-R-I-N-G. All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five. Because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. Gail Poth, our master gardener, knows her vegetables. She will be judging the quality of your answers. Now, I tell you what. It's kind of a... I I always put myself through the paces whenever I come up with one of these questions. And in my case, I try to get five answers within one minute out of my brain. And I'm looking at the word spring and the fact it wants warm season vegetables. ING is kind of tough. So I tell you what, I'm going to go easy on you this time. If you use a letter, let's say the letter S, somebody uses it, the next caller could use the letter S if they wanted to. Just put a different vegetable on it. So no letters will be eliminated. And to make it even easier, you can use varietal names. For instance, um, let's see, what can I give away here? That would be too um, not so obvious. Okay, if... I was to use the letter N, I could say Nebraska wedding tomato because it begins with an N, even though there's no T in the word. So you can use varietal names as well as the vegetable names, and a letter can be repeated. So name a warm season garden vegetable beginning with a letter from the word spring. The number's to call in, and we're hoping the phones work. 916-576-1578. 916-576-1578. Or toll-free, 866 Three three one eight two five five. Terry looks nervous there in the control room. We'll see. All right. So while you're thinking about that, we will uh, illum- illuminate you on other topics related to vegetables without giving away too many answers here. Ooh. So yeah, I know that's the, that's the trick. So let's go back to our original premise for having you in here, and that has to do with tips for beginner gardeners or just good tips for gardens. And uh, I, I still like one tip I, I gave Debbie Arrington for the article in the B about locating uh, the garden within sight of a window, especially the kitchen window. So it reminds you to go out there and use the garden 
uh, come August and September when you're getting tired of going outside. Yeah, there's a fair amount of work involved in growing vegetables. And for first-time gardeners or beginning gardeners, I would suggest starting small. Mm -hmm. And you can always add next year, increase your garden then. But a small, well-tended vegetable garden is going to be more productive than a large one that's gotten weedy and you haven't harvested and you have fruit that's fallen and is spoiling. So, yeah, start small. And I'd also suggest, if especially if it's a brand new area you're gardening, is get your soil tested. Mm-hmm. Whether it's through a laboratory or one of the DIY kits you can do yourself, you can at least figure out what your nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium is and what your pH of the soil is. That's important. There are some interestingly moderate price soil testing available at Amazon mm-hmm. where you go, they send you this little kit, and you mail back the kit with a sample of your soil, and they send you the results. I've seen those results that uh, people have sent me, and it's okay. It doesn't really explain in great detail what it all means, but at least you have some basic knowledge of what the numbers are as far as nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, pH, right. and, and some of the other micronutrients. And UC Davis researchers did um, some testing several years ago to find out just how accurate the do-it-yourself test kits are mm-hmm. compared to a full-blown soil lab test. And they did find two of them that were 90% accurate. You're right. You don't get all the micronutrients and other information, but you do get the big three and pH. And the two were rapid test, which is readily mm-hmm. available around. I checked around local nurseries, and they're carrying them uh, a variety of prices, and you can get them certainly online. And then the other is Lamont. Mm-hmm. which is a little pricier. Um, get that from the company Lamotte. Yeah, but L-A-M-O-T-T-E. Th- correct. And those two came out um, higher than some of the other five. Mm-hmm. I think they tested five or six. What's great about the Lamotte test kit, it comes in this nifty blue or black uh, plastic container, and there's like eight or ten test tubes in there, and you can spread them all out on your kitchen counter, yeah, kind and, of and you look geeky. like a scientist. Yeah, <laughs> Working with them because you're always mixing things. Yeah, but I would suggest having your soil tested. It's important. You don't want to be adding amendments or fertilizer if you don't need it. And if you want to be doing one thing now instead of planting now uh, and and wait until late April to plant, uh, the thing to be doing now is prepping your soil and getting it ready. And one of the best things you can do for your soil right now is uh, add compost to it. Correct. Compost is fabulous. And then in the fall... Don't throw away those leaves, shred them up and turn those into the soil or even leave them on the soil surface over the winter and it'll be wonderful for your soil. I did something this year I've never done before. It had it related to do with growing cover crops. And I've grown cover crops before. But I was always fascinated by the fava bean, so I always let it flower and, and produce the beans. But this year I basically hacked the fava beans back as they were just starting to flower. So I chopped them up into little pieces and let it lay there on the garden soil surface and then topped it with about three or four inches of mulch. Because I had, somebody told I think it was uh, the folks at Peaceful Valley Farm Supply had told me that once you chop up a cover crop like that, and the reason to chop it up is to keep the nitrogen in the ground. When you allow it to flower and fruit, you're basically sucking that nitrogen back up out. So by chopping it as it begins to flower, 
and then leaving what is basically a green manure on the soil surface and then topping it with the mulch that actually keeps the nitrogen from escaping into the air. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but frankly, it looks much nicer covered with three to four inches of mulch. Right. I've done that at home as well as I've cut down the fava beans and just left it, the residue on the top, and that acted as a mulch. Mm-hmm. And I left the roots in the ground, and those, right. the roots are what have the nitrogen nodules on them. Right. Now, at the Hort Center, we did take all of our cover crop out. We've cut it down except one little section of crimson flowered fava beans because the flowers are so pretty. They're this bright rose colored we left them and we're letting them form fava beans so home gardeners can see how fava beans grow and then we'll after we do our harvest then we'll cut them down and we're thinking that while much of the nitrogen that's affixed to the roots of the plant will be used to develop those beans there should still be some nitrogen nodules on those roots yeah just not as much but we thought it's kind of a fun demonstration to see these real pretty red flowers Exactly. I, frankly, I think you ought to leave it uh, and f- let it form the pods. They are. They're okay. forming right now. And then save the pods for harvest day. And then when somebody expresses the notion that they want to grow fava beans for the beans themselves, hand them the pods and have them shell them <laughs> and say, okay, you want to be doing this all winter? <laughs> yeah, because you have to shell them twice. You take them the bean out of the pod. Then you have to blanch the bean itself to get the thick skin off. Yeah. But they're worth it. <laughs> That's why old-timers used to have fava bean uh, shelling parties. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. Basically, yeah. you bring a bunch of people over and you sit around and yeah. shell but fava it's beans. Yeah, it's interesting, though. The fava bean is, doesn't look anything like a snap bean. I mean, it's the right. same shape, but they're very long and fat mm-hmm. and shiny. Yeah. yeah, but it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. All right, so something to think about. Well, let's take a call. The phones are working. This is good news. So... To the Garden Grappler we go. Caller number one in today's Garden Grappler is Amy in Sacramento. Hi, Amy. Hi. So, Amy, go ahead and give us a uh, warm season garden vegetable that begins with a letter from the word spring. Pepper. Gail, you're the judge here. Oh, I'm the judge. You're the judge. say something. Yes. Pepper, absolutely. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Pepper, yes. Sweet pepper, hot pepper, whatever kind of pepper you want. But again, uh, wait till about Mother's Day to plant them. Or thereabouts? I usually shoot for, yeah, usually mid-May. Okay. Because by then the soil's warm enough. Hey, Amy, good answer, Pepper. Oh, and I, I know have it, a question. Well, go ahead. Um, when you uh, start seeds, um, um, some people start in seed starting mix. I was wondering, what's the difference between seed starting in a seed starting mix versus just regular potting mix? Seed starting mix is really finely milled. So you have... You don't have big chunks. Potting soil has peat moss and vermiculite and pumice and different chunky things that could cause some air pockets that might keep the seed from germinating. It might dry out. Seed starting mix is finely milled. If you see, if you look at the difference between the two, you can tell it looks like the lint you take out of your vacuum cleaner almost. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, really right, fine. Yeah. And so it's recommended for seeds. You could certainly start them in potting soil, but seed starting mix will give you a little had a little better chance of being successful. Also, potting mixes may have something mixed in to help retain moisture, and what you want with seeds is a fast-draining mix. Right. You oh. don't want the seed to rot, so the seed-starting mix generally drains really well. Oh, okay. Okay, I have one more question. My my chard and my ca- uh, 
kale, my greens this year are, are infested with aphids. What's wrong? Then you have aphids. Cold. <laughs> Nothing's wrong. Well, <laughs> aphids, some species of aphids like it when it's cold, some oh. like it when it's hot. So um, you can have them in the middle of summer as well. So it's normal. Usually it's that gray, fuzzy aphid that gets on those kale and those sorts of crops, or it's a little black aphid or kind of a green one. Yeah. yeah, it's just part of the fun of growing vegetables is you're going to get aphids on things. What are you doing for it? I'm just picking it off and throwing it away because the leaves are curled and I can't get under it. Go out there with a spray of water and kind of wash them off. Of course, I would think by this time your crop is starting to get to decline. It's getting toward the end of their season. Are they starting to bolt yet? Send up a flower stalk? Yeah. Okay. Um, So I wouldn't worry about it now because if they're getting ready to bolt, that's the end of their life. But in the future, you can go out there and just spray them with a, a strong spray of water. Or what we do with our fava beans, we always get aphids in the tip. We, we cut that off, cut that growing tip off. But well, certainly, I've never had this problem before. It's like, oh, God. Oh, really? It's, it's a common problem. Yeah. We, at the Horticulture Center, we have it every late winter, early spring as we have an aphid infestation. Yep. Get that oh. uh, powerful hose nozzle and get to work on the aphids on a regular basis two or three times a week. You can oh. also use insecticidal soap if, if it's not too warm out and it hasn't been lately. And uh, horticulture oil could be used as well, but I'd start with the water. Yeah, and what oh. you're doing, Amy, makes a lot of sense. You know, the leaves are curled so you can't get under it. Yeah, the, in other words, the aphids are protected. Yeah. Yeah, well, then yank out the plant like you're doing. Yeah, it sounds like they're at the end of their life anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Amy. Uh-huh. All right. Bye. I'll be sending you. What do we have for everybody today, Fred? We have for everybody uh, two handouts uh, from the bottom of the uh, Farmer Fred uh, Library of fine pieces of paper. How to save heirloom tomato seeds and when to harvest fruits and vegetables. So that's going uh, everybody's way of the five callers. We have two open lines left. If you want to get in on the Garden Grappler, name a warm season garden vegetable beginning with a letter from the word spring. You can repeat a letter. You can use a varietal name as well. The numbers to call in, and I, I still think the phones are working. Good, Terry. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. We'll take a short break and get to callers 2, 3, 4, and 5 in today's Garden Grappler on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we're in the midst of the Garden Grappler, lining up five winners. Five people who say they can name a warm-season garden vegetable beginning with a letter from the word spring, S-P-R-I-N-G. You can use a letter again. The letters all stay in play. And uh, what else? You can use a varietal name. All right, so making it easy on you. We've had one caller so far, Amy who used pepper. All right. Now, the P is still in play. You just can't say pepper. So let's uh, move on here and find out some more winners. Thomas in Sacramento, go ahead. Give us a uh, warm season vegetable for spring. Morning, Farmer Fred. I'm going to go with German Johnson tomato. Ooh, good one. All right. That's uh, Gail Bothauer. Pot, Bothauer. Uh, Gail Bothauer <laughs> here, as he tried to say. Uh, we, because yeah. that's, a, that's a darn fine heirloom, mm-hmm. the German Johnson. 
Yeah, mine are doing pretty well already. I started them, and I'm, they're probably about 24 inches tall already and already starting to flower, believe it or not, but still not planting them for at least four more weeks. God bless you. All right, Thomas. Good answer there with the uh, German Johnson tomatoes. So I'll be sending you how to save uh, heirloom tomato seeds and also when to harvest fruits and vegetables. That'll be coming your way. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, Thomas. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right, let's go up the foothills to Nevada City. Karen, go ahead. Give us a warm season vegetable. Sweet potatoes. Sweet potato. That's Gail? absolutely correct. All right, sweet potato, and unlike I other have potatoes. A I have been wanting to grow the deep purple sweet potatoes that come from the Orient, and I finally got two to grow by putting them in the water, you know, with the toothpicks, and they've got lots of green on top. Mm-hmm. Can you just plant the whole potato, or should I just pick off those little stems that are coming out and put those in the ground or put them in water? You don't, you don't plant the whole potato. You will break those sprouts off. Okay, and do you put the sprout in dirt? You can, or you can put, put them directly, directly where you want to plant them in the garden. You can yeah. put them that way. You can put them in some potting soil in a little container until they root. Or you could do it in water. The problem with rooting in water is that the roots are very fragile. So then when you take those out and put them in the soil, you can end up breaking them. So I would suggest putting them in potting soil in small containers until they're rooted. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. And Karen, I'll be sending you some paper. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate that. Yes. We have one open line at 916-576-1578 and 866-331-8255. Caller number four in today's Garden Grappler. It's Kat. Hi, Kat. Hi, Farmer Fred. How are you? I'm doing fine. Go ahead and give us a warm season vegetable that begins with a letter from the word spring. Well, it's kind of a more of a flower, I guess, than a vegetable, but it can be a vegetable, too. It's sweet pea. How is that a vegetable? Go ahead. Now, defend yourself. I'll defend myself by saying, A, it was a flower, and I did I did divulge that. But secondly, I guess you can think of, you know, like snow peas as sweet peas or those sugar snap peas. Except those like are that. cool season crops. Yeah. Oh, my. Where's your big buzzer for me? Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> you have well, another guess? Um, For spring... Yeah, warm season. Pepper, tomatoes, sweet potatoes. I'm going to say um, eggplant. Well, gee, if only the word letter E was in the word spring, <laughs> w- w- would that work? I think not. <laughs> That's okay. I'll just make this space open for somebody else. Okay. Well. <laughs> Fall season. My roommate said spaghetti squash, and that's fall. Well, squash. No. Squash. Oh, that, squash. That qualifies. No way. Okay, I'll never hear the end of it. No, you grow that during the summer. And yeah. You, and you, you harvest, harvest it in the fall. fall, and the reason it's called a winter squash is it holds through the winter in storage. So it's a warm season well, crop. Yeah. See? Well, I was going to tell you that I do have a black thumb, and I love listening to your program nonetheless. Well, thank you. And, and obviously, you have a smart roommate. I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm sending both of you then the how to save heirloom seeds, uh, tomato seeds handout, along with when to harvest 
fruits and vegetables. Good answer with the squash, cat and friend. <laughs> Thank you very much for being so kind. Oh, we are. Okay, thanks, cat. All right, bye-bye. All right. We move on to Caller 5 in today's Garden Grappler, Toby in Palermo. Hello, Toby. Why is this white? Why, why, Terry, can't I talk with Toby in Palermo? Now I can try it. Okay, let's try it. Hi, Toby. Hi there. Oh, it works. All right, thank goodness. <laughs> well, to- you know, technology is not always our friend. Oh, I tell you. For sure. I okay. tell you, Toby. Go ahead. Hey, you're Caller 5. I tell you what, if you can come up with a... Uh, Warm season vegetable that begins with a letter of spring that isn't a pepper, a German Johnson tomato, a sweet potato, or summer squash or winter squash. I have for you, um, let's see, you're in the foothills. I will send you the Placer County Master Gardener Gardening Guide and Calendar. Yay! Okay. I have to earn this. <clears throat> okay. Sugar baby, that's a watermelon. Silver and gold hybrid, that's my corn. Um... Let's see, that's a flower that doesn't count. So, so you um, have more than one rain- answer? Oh, yes, because I'm number five. I have to work for it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, Rainbow mix, those are my carrots. Yeah. Iroquois, okay. that's my cantaloupe. Iroquois, okay. And uh, Are, are oh. you th- thumbing through seed packets right now? Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> and I think she's trying to get one for each letter. Well, that's fine. Yeah. You're caller five. You yeah. work, work as hard as you want, Toby. Okay. Well, the rest of those are just flowers, and okay. so we don't want to do well, that. Well, I, I wrote down sugar baby, and that works for me. Yep. Okay. It it's works nice, for Gail, too. It's a nice icebox yeah. size watermelon. So, Toby, I'll be sending you the uh, Placer County uh, Master Gardener gar- Gardening Guide and Calendar. May I ask one question? Oh, if you hurry. Okay. Uh, ginger. For three years, I've tried to grow ginger. I go to the store. I get the organic stuff at Rayleigh's because you can't seem to get ginger root anywhere and i tried to do all the stuff they said to do on youtube and youtube lied or i did something wrong how do i get this stuff to grow move to hawaii or you can grow it in a container like i do at home oh okay I that's just, what i'm doing yeah, I, I just put, put the little the little tubers or whatever they're called in a container mine are in the container not in the ground because they are frost yes. tender so I move them into my greenhouse during the winter. It's a cool greenhouse. It's not heated. But they they come up, and then come fall, they die back, and then the next spring they re-sprout. How do you get them to come up? I did the thing they said on YouTube, which is, you know, you cut them up and then put the roots, you know. what is there a secret? Well, I didn't even cut mine up. I just put the whole hand. I got small hands. I guess that's what okay. they're called. Hands of ginger. I got small ones, and, or if I get a big one, you just break them into you know smaller pieces. I didn't cut them into little pieces, and I just put three in a 12-inch pot, put them in okay. the ground, covered them with about, trying to think, maybe an inch of soil, kept them well watered. They don't like to dry out, so I, that's... So an inch of soil, so you're not planting them real, real deep. No, not very deep at all. And keeping them well watered. And keeping them well watered and put a mulch on Mm -hmm. them. And I kind of keep them in dappled shade. They aren't in full sun. And I don't even know what I'm doing and they come up. So I'm not (laughs) sure what to tell you. I I think that what you said about the one inch, I think I planted them too deep. Too deep? They may have rotted then. Yes. And are yours in a container or in the ground? They're in containers in a a nice, rich, uh, well-drained. Okay, that's um, good. Yeah, they and, want good drainage. Yes, and on the north side of the house and all that stuff. 
but I was putting them about three inches deep. That might be a little deep. And also, yeah. they're, I found that they're kind of slow to, to sprout in the spring. Mine haven't come up yet, so it'll be a while. Okay, one inch. Got it. Toby, okay. don't go away, Toby. I'm going to put you back on hold because Terry wants to talk with you. I think he likes you. <laughs> well, I like you, too. Okay, well, I'll put you back on hold. Thanks for playing our little game. Appreciate it. You have a wonderful week, both of you. All right. Thank you, Toby. Bye-bye. Gail Pothar, did you have fun today? I did. All right, good. You told me I would have I fun. I told you you'd have fun, <laughs> and I told you it would. the time would just fly right by. It wasn't at all scary. Not at all. We're no. not scary people. <laughs> we had fun here. You did a great job. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate that. Uh, Gail Pothauer, Master Gardener. See her work at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center at the in the vegetable section there, and the next uh, open garden at the uh, Fair Oaks Horticulture Center is Wednesday, April 11th from 9 a.m. to noon. Gail, thank you so much. Thank you, Fred. When we come back, we're talking with Don Smith. He works for the city of Folsom. He is their water conservation guy, and we'll get some tips on outdoor irrigation when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Watering your landscape doesn't have to be a guessing game. You can learn the ins and outs of managing your sprinkler system, including a question we get asked a lot on these shows. How long should I run my sprinklers? How long should I run my drip irrigation system? You can find out at a free workshop called Irrigation Made Simple. It's coming up Wednesday, March 28th in the evening, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., at the Folsom Community Center at 52 Nantoma Street in Folsom. And telling you everything you need to know is Don Smith with the City of Folsom. He's their water conservation coordinator. And Don, that is one of the most frequent questions we get on the radio shows is, how long do I need to irrigate? Well, that's true. We get it, too. Um, we get it all the time. I'm constantly asked that question. And and my, uh, my standard answer is uh, just long enough. <laughs> And then uh, we we go from there. But uh, some of the things we're going to be talking about is is what will make up just long enough. Um, what are the things you need to consider when you're watering? What are some things you need to know? Um, you A lot of people have never considered. They look at that timer out in the box, and they really have never considered what they're watering or how it's getting watered. So we want to enlighten people a little bit on that to uh, let them know that um, – it depends on the type of sprinklers you've got in the ground. It depends on the type of plant material that you're watering. And, and then on top of that, we want to make sure people know how to use that irrigation timer. That just uh, befuddles a lot of people. Uh, some of the smartest people I've ever met don't even want to deal with the timer on the wall. Some people don't even know where it is. Oh, yeah, that's true. And and it's not unusual to have to move uh, boxes and all kinds of things that, that have blocked it. That, you know, they just think it's some other piece of utility hanging on the inside of their garage. If people have been using that same irrigation timer for 10, 20, or 30 years, they may be surprised at uh, the latest advances and how easy it is to program the new ones, uh, taking the befuddlement out of it. Right, right. The new ones are easy to time. Well, you know, even if you don't have the time or the resources to buy new equipment, if you make use of the of the functions of that timer, even an old timer, we can help you be much more efficient. We can help you water the way you should water. We can help you reduce runoff. All of those things are things we're after. 
And I imagine that at the Irrigation Made Simple workshop, you're going to have a table full of the latest and greatest devices for irrigating. That's right. We're going to uh, show folks the, the latest technology in irrigation controllers. Uh, there are controllers out there now that are Wi-Fi enabled. If you can use a smartphone, you can use this timer. Uh, basically, you can make uh, adjustments to your timer wherever you can carry a smartphone. So we're going to be, we'll have one of those on hand and we'll talk about how those work. We're going to talk about new types of sprinkler nozzles that you can retrofit on your old system um, and, and really uh, increase the efficiency of your sprinklers. You won't be uh, putting out twice as much water as you need to use because of the increase in efficiency. And then we're going to talk about drip irrigation. We're going to talk about how you can retrofit an existing in-ground system and, and turn that thing into drip if all you're watering is shrubs or ground cover. You don't need the overhead spray. You can put the water directly where you need it and do it uh, in a much better fashion with drip irrigation instead of overhead sprays. Now, I know there's a um, a movement afoot by the state to uh, clamp down on water wasters that's supposed to take effect maybe in April. They keep delaying it, so I'm not exactly sure when that's supposed to start. But one of the uh, targets of their crackdown are people who allow water to basically rush into the street, down the driveway, over the curb, and into the gutter. And these new sprinkler heads you're talking about are kind of an exciting development because that takes away a lot of that runoff possibility. Well, right. It, it puts more of the water where you want it to go, and uh, less of it ends up getting blown around. A lot of that water gets moved out onto the sidewalk in the gutter just through wind drift. Uh, with the old misting spray heads, the, the water is just easily moved by wind, and these new heads um, eliminate that. Do you have any details about when this uh, new program is to be instituted by the state for stricter watering? Well, several things are going on. There's a lot of engagement right now with water districts, and we're trying to influence the state. We're trying to make the state understand some simple things like what a varied um, climate California has. And just because it's a good idea in San Diego doesn't make it a good idea in Sacramento. There's a lot of engagement with the state right now in the rulemaking process, and we're trying to to have an in, have an influence and an impact on how those regulations come out. So that's that's still up in the air. Uh, we right now, uh, for most everything they've talked about, most of the water agencies already have those regulations on the books. I know the city of Folsom. There's only a couple of small items that would be in the the state regulation they've proposed that are not already in our ordinance. So it won't be a huge change for Folsom residents anyway. And I would suspect for most people in your listening audience. And like you say, these uh, what they're saying may become more strictly enforced are, are, are things that most people have been practicing for quite a while, having on-off nozzles at the end of their hose, not washing right. off their driveways, things like that. Right. And I think uh, where you're going to see the changes, or possibly the biggest changes, would be in penalties. Penalties for the homeowner, for the water consumer, and penalties for the agencies uh, if the state for some reason doesn't think you're enforcing these things um, enthusiastically enough. But, uh, you know, it's all going to come out in the wash. We're still waiting to see what the final form will be. And so, again, that uh, April deadline is, is on hold. That I would be surprised to see them finish it by April. 
All right. And again, this Irrigation Made Simple workshop is coming up Wednesday, March 28th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Folsom Community Center at 52 Natoma Street in Folsom. And uh, Don, this is open to anyone, isn't it? It's open to anyone. The only thing we ask is that you email us and uh, reserve a seat because there is limited space. Um, and you can do that if you email waterconservation at folsom.ca.us. And then uh, just we'll respond to you. We'll let you know you got a seat. And that just lets us know um, how, if we're going to fill the room up or not, do we need to move to a bigger room? So. We'd appreciate getting a, an email and, and letting us know you're coming. Now, besides that one, there is one that doesn't require any reservations. You just have to show up, and that's on Saturday, April 7th. And you're going to have a booth there at the Folsom City Lions Park, uh, right near the Folsom Public Library, on Saturday, right. April 7th, 10 to 2. And basically, it's a Q&A with Don Smith. Well, it will be with me, uh, with a couple other folks will be there, too. Uh, it's it's an event that's designed for you to be able to walk up to see all of the different devices that we'll have on display. We'll have actually have um, some of them set up so we can turn sprinklers on, we can turn drip systems on, we can show you how these things work. Um, you don't have to register; just show up, come on out, and it's a time for individual Q and A. We'll be the park is right at the corner of Stafford and Natoma Street. And you'll see us out there. We've got a big uh, 10 by 10 pop-up tent with uh, city water conservation logos on it. You can't miss us. Just park by the library. Come on out, and we'll be happy to talk to you. Bring the kids and the grandkids. They can ride the train. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, leave, leave them at the zoo. Put them on the train. The Sacramento Master Gardeners will be out there as well, conducting a plant clinic. And again, that'll be uh, Saturday, April 7th from 10 to 2 o'clock, a free event. Ask the Sprinkler Guy with people from the City of Folsom, including Don Smith, the City of Folsom Water Conservation Coordinator. And again, the two events, Wednesday, March 28th, Irrigation Made Simple, an evening workshop, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Folsom Community Center at 52 Natoma Street in Folsom. And then Saturday, April 7th, at the Folsom City Lions Park at 403 Stafford Street. Saturday, April 7th, 10 to 2. Ask the Sprinkler Guy. A lot of new and great irrigation innovations out there, and it pays to find out what's new, and this is a good way to do it. Don Smith with the City of Folsom, the Water Conservation Coordinator. Thanks for a few minutes of your time. Thank you. We appreciate it. Let's take a look at the uh, weather upcoming for the week. Uh, Mostly sunny today with a high of 59 and then warmer and sunny for the balance of the week all the way through next Saturday with temperatures warming up by the end of the week. Upper 70s. Spring has sprung. So I guess it's time to gear up for spring planting season, isn't it? Well, for all your landscape and garden needs, count on locally grown, family owned and operated Big Oak Nursery in Elk Grove. They have a large assortment of locally grown plants on site. Colorful annuals, perennials, trees, shrubs, healthy, beautiful vegetables. It's at Big Oak Nursery. They're open seven days a week at 10071 Grant Line Road in Elk Grove. It's just east of Highway 99, maybe a half mile east of 99. And you can find out more online at BigOakNursery.com. Coming up, we'll take a look at upcoming garden events and answer some of the email you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com when we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. 
Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's take a look at upcoming uh, garden events for the coming week. Going on this afternoon in Davis, the Yellow County Master Gardeners have a class on year-round kitchen gardening and more. Also, how to uh, feed garden beds and fruit trees, honeybee swarms, what to do about those, and garden tool care. That's coming up at the Mary Stevens Library the Children's Area Conference Room at 315 East 14th Street in Davis. It's free. It's today. It's 2 until 4 p.m. Also going on today. Uh, no, I take that back. Also, go out. there is something going on today. I have to find it, though, because he got mad because I didn't mention it earlier on the KFBK Garden Show. Steve Zion, Sacramento's organic advocate, is currently at the Rockland Green Acres store uh, advising people on less toxic pesticides to use. He's representing Our Water, Our World, and the Green Acres uh, Nursery and Supply in Rockland is uh, at the, uh, what is that, the Sierra College exit of Highway 80, right across the street from there, behind the Kmart, not Kmart, Walmart, or whatever's over there, in the big shopping center. The Rockland Green Acres Nursery is where you'd find uh, Steve today till 3 o'clock, giving you some sensible gardening advice there as far as less toxic alternatives. Also, uh, Tuesday, growing edibles in small spaces. That is the uh, topic at the San Joaquin County Master Gardeners. Uh, From 1030 to noon on Tuesday, it's a free class on growing edibles in small spaces. It'll be at the beautiful San Joaquin Ag Center at 2101 East Earhart Avenue in Stockton. It really is a beautiful ag center. If you've visited any cooperative extension offices, the San Joaquin County one is really nice. There's money in wine grapes. All right. Uh, let's see. Don Smith told us all about uh, Irrigation Made Simple on Wednesday, March 28th, 630 to 8.30 p.m. there at 52 Natoma Street in Folsom. How about learning how to boil water? Mm, don't laugh. And also steam canning basics, 9 a.m. to noon. The Sacramento County Master Food Preservers have that class going on uh, on Saturday, March 31st from 9 to noon. He'll provide a basic introduction to safe boiling water, and steam canning techniques. You'll learn how to can high-acid foods, and this class will focus on canning fruit. And that will be at the Master Food Preservers uh, demo area there at the Cooperative Extension Office at 4145 Branch Center Road in Sacramento next Saturday, 9 to noon. I do believe it's free. I don't see any dollar signs on here. It must be free. All right. Uh, the Old City Cemetery is awakening in color, and next Saturday, March 31st at 10 a.m., they have a garden tour of the cemetery's historic rose garden. Will there be roses popping out next Saturday? Well, if a week-long sunny sky heat wave takes place as predicted, a minor heat wave in the 70s, for us that's a heat wave lately, uh, maybe some roses will start opening up. And Anita Clevenger will... Uh, Lead the way as you see and smell the spring flowers that have emerged from their brief winter slumber. At the Old City Cemetery, it's next Saturday, 10 a.m., 10th and Broadway in Sacramento. It's a wonderful garden. It's a garden I I recommend highly to people who are visiting from out of town just because there is uh, so much history there and historic plants. A lot of old plants, some great old garden roses, and a beautiful, beautiful perennial garden. Not to mention, if you're into bees... All the native bee varieties, species, excuse me, that uh, call the Old City Cemetery home. Uh, Something like 87 or 88 different species of bees have been cataloged 
at the UC, at the UC, at the uh, Old City Cemetery there at 10th and Broadway. So uh, check that out. All right. Anything else to talk about? Nope. I think I covered everybody. All right. If you have a garden event coming up for your nonprofit, uh, drop me a line. Send it to me about two weeks in advance of the event. And email is the best way to get it to me. I appreciate it if you put all the information in the body of the email. It makes it easier for me to transfer it over to FarmerFred.com, where you can find a complete list of garden events that uh, are occurring throughout the area. And uh, if you can't do that, an attachment works, but golly. Anyway, send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com at least two weeks in advance. Thank you. All right. What else is going on in the world today? How about the KSDE Farm Hour? That's coming up. Uh, after uh, I get done talking here, I, I start talking again. I put on my Carhartt overalls and start telling you about what's new in the world of California farms. And uh, certainly uh, the late season rain is playing havoc with a lot of farmers as far as they want to get in the fields, but it's too wet. And they're finding that's true right now with the asparagus. The local asparagus crop is interesting in that it's shrinking. It's a uh, shrunk nearly in half, uh, maybe a little bit more than half over the last 10 years because of labor costs and the fact that it's it's more people are buying asparagus based on price. Cheap asparagus from Mexico is cutting into California supplies. California, though, is really good asparagus. It pays to look for it, but it's getting harder to find. So we take a look at the asparagus industry. Also, uh, what uh, some farmers are doing, biding their time, waiting for the fields to dry, and everything that goes into farming, like maintaining your equipment, which can be a full-time job. And we talk about that. And uh, we talk about attracting pollinators to your farm by using cover crops and we're talking warm season cover crops for attracting pollinators to your farm you don't need as much as you might think and one of my favorite university of california experts is rachel long and she gives us the information on how best to accomplish that also uh, the latest numbers are out for california's ag production and can you name california's top five agricultural products Hmm, you have to think about that one well that information's coming up on the KSDE Farm Hour, noon to 1 o'clock, one of my favorite shows. And if you miss it live, you can listen to the podcast, which is available at all the usual locations, including the iHeartRadio app for streaming or KSDE.com or your favorite third-party podcast aggregator where you can download the show as well, just like you can with Get Growing. All right, time for me to get on out of here, making room for the news. Coming up on the program next week, Don Shore will be here from Redwood Barn Nursery. And we'll get some more spring planting tips from him. Also, Warren Roberts from the UC Davis Arboretum will tell us what's uh, putting on a show this time of year. It's uh, probably a lot more plants than last month. And also, we take a little preview of the American River College Horticulture Department plant sale that's coming up on April 7th. So uh, that'll be on next week's uh, Get Growing, as well as the KFBK Garden Show. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your support. We'll do it all again next week on Get Growing. Bye-bye.